All right. Back in here. Hope you guys had a good time worshiping the Lord just now and that your you and God time was used well, as Luke mentioned earlier. I hope that you guys were able to take some of the points from last night and apply them to your you and God time. Even though it's raining and it's hard to hard to be out and find a spot, I hope you're able to focus and, and uh, have a good time with the Lord this morning. So this morning, we are going to be looking at our holy God. We're going to be beholding his holiness. And we'll be in Isaiah chapter 6. If you guys want to turn there. Isaiah chapter 6. And as, as we were singing about the Lamb and singing about just how awesome Jesus is and his grace towards us, as, as something to keep in mind, something to, to focus on as, as we're going to God's holiness. We... I love looking at those passages, and we'll look at passages later this weekend about Jesus and grace and forgiveness. But we can never get there to Jesus and forgiveness if we don't first start with God and who he is and his holiness. And that's why we need to look at the Old Testament for some of these things. That's why we need, we need both of these. So we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6 and as a reminder of what it means to behold means to gaze intently or look at closely. My four-month-old son in the back, he loves to behold my face. It's his favorite thing. You can ask my wife. He just wants to stare. He's a little smile on his face. He's like looking up at me. He just doesn't care about anything else. He, just, he wants to like just behold my face, look at me. Uh, I love it. I love just like him just soaking my face in. Because my other sons, they don't, they've grown a little older. They, they don't do it as much. They realize there's not, as, not much to look at here. Behold! Snow! Uh, yeah. My other sons, yeah, they don't see there's not much to look at here. But at least Grant, uh, he hasn't gotten that far yet. He's still beholding my face. Likes looking at it. Uh, so I, I encourage you guys this weekend to behold God's face. Just gaze at it like a four-month-old. Just like, just like, just want to look at your dad's face. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Let's pray. God, you are awesome in your holiness. You are high and lifted up. I pray that this morning we would enter your throne room, that we would see you on your throne. We will behold you as a holy God. I pray that as we behold you, as we're listening to your word, that our hearts would be changed, our lives would be changed. We would seek to live for you. pray this in your name. Amen. So let's lay the scene out. Uzziah, as mentioned here, King Uzziah, in the year that he died, who was he? He was one of the, the better kings of Judah. I mentioned last night that the kingdom had been split, so he was one of the kings of Judah, one of the better ones, who kept the nation of Israel safe and secure. He had a might about him, a military might. He was able to keep Israel's or Judah's enemies at bay. And he served the Lord for most of his life. At the end, he uh, got prideful and went to the temple. uh, And the Lord punished him for his disobedience. He made him a leper. And for the rest of his, end of his life, end of part of his reign, he was a leper separated from the people. But for the most part, he was a good king, a strong king. And so as Isaiah is seeing this with a new king coming up, Isaiah's son, and the threat of the nation of Assyria. He didn't know what to expect for the nation of, of Judah. And so that, that's his mindset as he's going into this. He has, has this, the king's dead, the strong king who is keeping us safe, who is providing our kingdom with direction, helping us go to the Lord. He's dead. What, what's going to happen next? And so in the midst of this, he gets a vision of the true king seated on his throne. He's in full control. When you guys see the president in the Oval Office or the governor at the Capitol, or you see crime going up or other circumstances out of your control, how do you respond? There's, there's bad things that are going on. People in power are, are in control and might seem like, what's going on? How are they leading us? What was my life going to be like? We should be looking at who is really in control. Things might be bad. It might make you want to cry like Isaiah, woe is me. Like, I don't know what's going on. This is, this is too much for me. But who is really in control? It's God. He is on his throne. That's the comparison that Isaiah is drawing here. God is king. No matter how bad the situation looks, how bad, how bad your circumstances are, God is in control. He is the one on his throne. We do have bad things in our lives. We've lost loved ones. We're bullied. We're hurt by those who are close to us. We can feel alone. We fear what the future has for us. Hurt and pain are real things. And we need to look to God when we are in pain and we feel alone. He is the only one who can help us. He is in full control. He is sympathetic to our needs. We need to go to him And the world is telling us, look to this to help you satisfy your needs. Look to the president. Look to the governor. Look to the laws or different people in your lives. That that doesn't matter. We need to look to who is actually in control, who can actually help us with our pain, our suffering, 
our fears, our anxiety. So picture this scene from Isaiah's perspective. And I, I, and I do apologize. There's a small section in your notes for intro. Like a page of my notes is intro. So we're still in the intro for a long time. Uh, so picture this scene from Isaiah's perspective. So his friend, he was friends with, the, with this king, Isaiah. And according to history, he may have been related. Maybe he was his cousin. Um, so his friend, maybe his cousin, the, the king and protector of Israel just died. So he's sitting there and he's maybe he's in despair. You don't know. I'm just wondering what's going to happen next. And this, this guy was my friend, he's my, my relative, and he's my king and leading our nation. And now he's dead. What's going to happen next? In the midst of that, he gets caught up to heaven in a vision, and he sees the undying Lord sitting in full control on his throne. He's high. He's lifted up. And the train of his robe is so long, it's filling the whole temple. This is someone to pay attention to, someone to look at. He's someone with, with weight, someone to, to behold. This is someone to take note of. He's set apart. He's important. As Isaiah is beholding God and all his holiness and, and might, he sees the angels, the seraphim. This is a kind of angel. It's not mentioned really much else in the Bible. Um, but it's a kind of angel, and it's attending the king, all the, the seraphim are. They each have six wings. They're, they have two for covering their faces because they're not worthy to look at the Lord. Uh, I like that you read that passage about Moses. That's where I was going to go. With, you said you weren't going outside of Isaiah. I did. I'm, I'm, I'm already lying. I'm, I'm already in sin. I, I, tr- I tried. I couldn't help myself. I have a couple other passages outside of Isaiah today. I'm sorry. Uh, but before, uh, I'm glad you read that passage because as Moses beheld God's glory, and he's, he's beheld a part of him. He didn't even look at his face. He like, looked at the backside of him. And just as he passed by, and his face was shining so brightly that he had to put a veil and cover his face. And, and the angels, they're perfect. Right? They don't have sin. What are they doing? They're covering their faces. They can't even behold God. They have to like, cover their faces. They're, they're not in the same category as God. He's too holy. So he sees them with their six wings, two are covering their faces. They're not worthy to look at the Lord. Two are for covering their feet because they know what's up. How feet should be covered all the time. They're disgusting. <laughs> Cover them up. <laughs> and the last two wings are for flying and serving the Lord. They're using service of him. Even angelic beings, they need to cover themselves up in the presence of the holy God. They're not peers. Even though they're perfect or without sin, they're not in the same category. They're not on the same level as God. He is holy. He is set apart from all others. Isaiah is looking at God. He's looking at the angels. He hears the angels calling out to each other. And what are they saying? They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
The word holy here is repeated three times to draw attention to it. The Lord isn't just a holy God. He is a holy God. This is someone to pay attention to here. So behold this. He's a holy God. So as he's he's seen that, he's seen God on his throne, hearing the angels, seeing them fly around. Everything just starts shaking. Imagine you're, you're, this is the throne room of God and you're seeing God on his throne. You're seeing the angels flying around, serving him. They're calling out. And then everything just starts shaking. The whole room is shaking. The, the room is filling with smoke. Like this is, this, what's your reaction to be to this? This is crazy stuff going on here. Isaiah's reaction was to call curses down on himself. You know, woe is me. I'm not worthy. Like, destroy me now. I can't be here. This is, this is too high for me. This is, this is too awesome for me. God, you're too much. You're too awesome. His response is appropriate. You saw everything going on, and you realized, I shouldn't be here. I'm a sinner. This God is holy. I can't, I can't be in his presence. He is too awesome for me. So now let's look at behold the holiness of the Lord. Now we're in your first point. What is the meaning of the Lord's holiness? What is holiness? When the angels are crying out, holy, 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 what are they, what are they saying? You don't see anywhere else in the Bible saying God is love, 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 or God is grace, 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 or God is wrath, wrath, wrath. You don't, you don't see that in the Bible. Those things about God are very important. That's who, part of who he is. But only his holiness is talked about like this. And it's talked about a couple times in the Bible. He's holy, holy, holy. It affects every part of who he is. It, it permeates every aspect of him. He is set apart. He is different than us. The Lord is absolutely pure. There's no sin or defect found in him at all. There's nothing you can point to and say, oh, God could be a little bit better if he did this. Or God is just missing this aspect of who he is. Or he, he messed up a little bit here. There's, there's nothing like that at all with God. He is absolutely pure, absolutely perfect. Nothing wrong with him at all. He is a definition of what is morally good. We can try to define, our culture tries to define, what is good? What is truth? What is, what is right? And we think that it can be it's on a scale, on a spectrum. It, you can just, your truth is my, not my truth. What's right for you isn't right for me. What, what you call good isn't necessarily good for me. And that's false. That's, that's wrong. God is the definition of what is right. He is the definition of what is morally good. We can't Look to other things to try to find what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be perfect? How can I be set apart from this, from the world? We have to look to God. He is the one who is the definition of what is morally good. Nothing else in our lives, no laws set by the government, none of that really defines what is good, what is pure, what is perfect. Only God can. He is the perfect one. Holiness also means that he is set apart. He's not like us. 
He's not like anything else in creation. He's not like the angels. You saw them, they're covering their faces. They're not like him. They're not in the same category. He's not like the rest of creation. He's not like us. He's in a category of his own. There is none that can compare to him. And we need to, to look at God and his holiness. We need to understand what it means to be holy. He is perfect. He is set apart from us. None like him. As we cannot compare things to God. He is all alone in his own category. And his holiness applies to everything he is. His love is a holy love. So as as he is loving us, as he is loving each one of us, that means it's holy. He is doing it in a way that is perfect. He's doing it in a way where he has no defect. He's not like partially loving you. He's loving you to the fullest. He's loving you in a way that you cannot love. You cannot even think to love. His wrath is a holy wrath. In his wrath, sometimes we get wrathful and angry. That's not the same as God's wrath. We, we respond in wrath out of, out of sin, out of, tainted by our unrighteousness. But God, he responds in his wrath in a perfect way. It's unlike our wrath. It's perfect. His grace is a holy grace. We try to be gracious towards others. It's maybe it's just we're trying to be gracious because they've first been gracious to us. Maybe they're they're giving us a little bit. It's like, okay, well, you'll be gracious. They act like they're trying to be uh, repentant, so I'll try to be gracious towards them. That's not how God's grace works. He does it in a perfect way. It's unlike ours. He does it in a way where he's perfectly giving us that grace. It's a holy grace. That means his love is not lacking. His wrath is exact. And his grace is perfect. Everything about God is holy. You see, his holiness in creation, everything he made in the beginning, what did he call it? It's good. It's good. As he's making light, as he's making uh, the water, as he's doing all these things, he's saying, it's good. It's good. Making man, it's good. He made it in a, in a perfect way. And then we rebelled against him, right? We, we sinned against him. And now everything about the world is broken. We see his holiness in the law. We are to be set apart. Hate sin. The, the law is there for us to try, to try to keep it, measure up to God, and we can't. But we see God, God's holiness in the law and how he hates sin. He's very precise in how he hates sin. And we see his holiness in judgment. And it's how much we, we deserve that judgment. How much we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and need that judgment. And we see his holiness there. And how he has to judge. It's hard for us to look at the law and talk about God's judgment. Because we recognize that we aren't perfect. We can't keep the law. And here, here I'm, I'm straying from Isaiah. I'm going to De- De- Deuteronomy. I said I wouldn't. And I'm, I already am. And you look at Deuteronomy 5, and you see the Ten Commandments. Let me briefly go through some of these. Like, you shall have no other gods before me. Can you keep that commandment? 
Have you, have you served other things, worshipped other things, or your thoughts and your minds? Have you worshipped yourself and sometimes? You've worshipped other things in your life that you prioritize above God? Maybe it's, maybe it's sports or uh, friends or family or, or whatever it is that you worship things from time to time. You shall make yourself a carved image. We don't make a carved image, but we are worshiping other things. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Have you, have you taken the Lord's name in vain? Have you used God's name flippantly I mean, as, as a joke? Or you're joking with maybe some of your, your peers at school or something, and it just comes across, God comes across as a joke? Or, or you just say his name uh, in vain? Observe this Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Do you have time set apart where you're trying to keep holy to the Lord? It says, honor your father and your mother. Ooh, do you honor your father and mother? <laughs> that could be a hard one, yeah, especially as you're in your uh, younger age, your teenager, and you're starting to come into your own and make your own thoughts. And, and you're like, oh, I don't agree with what my, my parents said. Do you honor them? So you shout out murder. Hopefully none of us have done that. But as you see in the New Testament, it's not just the committing the act of murder where you're killing somebody. It's, it's You can commit murder in your heart. You can hate someone else. In your heart, you effectively committed murder. So you should not commit adultery. Same thing. You can effectively commit adultery, you see in the New Testament, by lusting after someone else. That's adultery. That's wrong. It's broke a commandment. You should not steal. Shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Shall not covet your neighbor's wife. These commandments, like we see God's law, we can't measure up to it. We can't be holy like he is holy. We've sinned. We've fallen short of God. We aren't perfect. We deserve judgment. God in his holiness, he can't stand sin. Sin can't enter his presence. We're sinners. We can't enter his presence. We, we deserve judgment. We deserve eternal wrath of God in, in hell. We, we can't just waltz into his presence thinking we're fine. God's holy. Or something has to change. As, as we are, we're broken. We're not holy. We deserve his judgment. But as imitators of God, we are called to be holy. We're called to be holy. Can other things be holy? In the Bible, we see buildings, common items like pots and bread, being called holy. Are those, are those things just in themselves holy? No, they're not, they're not holy in themselves. The holy God makes them holy. They're set apart for a special purpose, used to glorify God. Those things, if you're, you're looking in the Old Testament laws, you see bread being set apart to be used for the worship of the Lord. You see buildings, the temple, tabernacle being set apart to worship the Lord. Some pots and pans and stuff being set apart to use in the worship of the Lord. They're not holy in themselves. They're not, it's not like it's a special pot that came from God himself. It, it's something that has been purified, set apart, off to the side, to be used for the Lord. They're not to be used for other things or to be associated with the things the Lord hates. The gluten-free food that Randall makes me is set apart. I'm not going to go as far as saying it's holy. 
But it's set apart for a special purpose. It's not to be tainted by gluten. <laughs> I'm tainted in any way. It's not to be touched by you common gluten people. <laughs> it's set apart so that I can eat it, not be a hangry preacher. <laughs> in, the sa- in the same way, uh, we are to be set apart. Right? God has set apart things to be holy, and God ho- God's holiness demands that we, we hate our sin, that we change and become like him. We cannot do this ourselves. Like the pots and the bread or the temple, we need God to make us holy. Only his holiness can make us holy. We need Jesus' blood to cleanse us and purify us. We need the Holy Spirit working in our lives, helping us to change. We cannot do this ourselves. We cannot just will ourselves to be holy. If I just try to keep these Ten Commandments, then I'll be good. We can't do it. You try, you fail, and you can't do it. We cannot do it ourselves. We need Jesus' blood to cleanse us. We need the Holy Spirit. If we're believers in God, we need the Holy Spirit helping us every day try to become more like him. And it's not a matter of, a, of attaining holiness. It's just a pattern of life. We just we try to be holy, holy like he is. We try to be set apart. We still can't do it as believers. You'll never be able to do it here on this earth. But that, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to live like God. We're trying to live for God. We're trying to be set apart, not like the rest of the world. We've been set apart, changed as believers. And now we're to be living for him with the help of his Holy Spirit. Let's look at how great his holiness is. His holiness is comforting to us. I hope it's comforting. It might seem intimidating. I mean, man, he's holy. I can't be in his presence. That's intimidating, but it should be comforting. Because he is holy, we know that he is perfect. We will never find anything wrong with him. Do you want a God who has something wrong with him? Do you want a God who's defective? Who can, on a whim, all of a sudden change his mind and who he is? No, we want a holy God. We want somebody who is perfect. He's never going to change. We want someone who is the definition of what is right and pure. A lot of times we can look at ourselves and think, man, I'm pretty good. Not too bad. My clothes might not be 100% white. That's pretty close. It's almost there. But no, that's not true. When we turn and we look to God on his throne, and he's dazzling in pure white, he's bright as the sun, radiant in his glory, we're nothing compared to him. Our morality is filthy in comparison. Any good we thought we had in ourselves instantly melts away. Like, like the snow. In the burning light of his holiness. We look to him because he is holy. There is no changing or variation in him. He is the bar that we must live up to. And we cannot. Before him we are nothing. We are found lacking and in violation of his holiness. Don't, don't look to yourself and think, I'm, I'm pretty good. We, we can lie to ourselves a lot. We can compare ourselves to other people, even as Christians. You can say, 
Somebody asks you, how are you doing, man? How are you doing in your walk with God? And maybe you're thinking, I'm doing pretty good. Like, I'm not, I'm not as bad as, as Richard. So, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> uh, don't do that in your minds. Don't look at yourself and think, I'm doing pretty good because I'm not as bad as someone else. Or I'm not, I'm not like this person. Don't compare yourselves to other people. You're sinners. They're sinners. Everybody's sinners. Don't think you're doing pretty good. We need to, to look to God and compare ourselves to him. He is what is good. Compared to him, we're horrible. We're sinners. We can only achieve some level of goodness, achieve some level of worship to him because of Jesus' blood. Because Jesus can make us holy. Because Jesus can help us enter the holy God's presence. How do we respond to this holy God? In light of his holiness, in light of everything who he is, how do we respond? First, let's look at the angel's response. What's the angel's response? These, these perfect creatures that are without sin, surely they're fine being in God's presence. But as we still know, not even them. They have to shield themselves from the brilliance of his glory and holiness. They hide their faces. As they're standing before God, they have to cover up themselves. And they can't help but respond and cry out. Our God is holy. They cry out with such passion and gusto. I don't know if you saw that. The building wasn't just shaking and filling with smoke for no reason. They cry out with such passion and gusto that it makes the foundation shake. It makes the temple fill with smoke. They can't contain themselves. It isn't just like, our God is holy. They're crying and shouting so much that the building is shaking and the temple's filling with smoke. They're passionate. This this king must be worshipped. They're not just casual about their worship. They're doing it with gusto. They're doing it with passion. He's holy. He's white as snow without spot or blemish. He is the king seated on his throne. Everything was made by him and for him. He deserves glory. We should be worshiping God like the angels are. Uh, it's not necessarily wrong or anything. It's just a pet peeve of mine when, when we're singing. Do you sing like this? Holy, holy, holy. Like we're just like, we're just like singing just quietly. Some of our voices are bad. Mine's not the best. But you, we, just, we should be singing out to God. Like It should be changing our hearts and minds so much as we behold God. We're, we're shouting to God. We're singing to him. We're praising him. It's, it's, it's not about if you sound bad or off key. It's, it's fine. There is well, the, a pastor I respected, uh, Steve Fernandez, of one of our sister churches. He's gone with the Lord now. He was a horrible singer. I, I, I went to his church, uh, and I was just hearing, I was like, somebody is just singing so bad right now. They're just so off key. They're singing at the wrong times. It's just, but they're singing at the top of their lungs. They should, they should be quiet. If they're singing this bad, they should be quieter so we can just pay attention. 
but, but that's, that's not the point. I, when I saw him go up there, I was like, oh, that's the pastor. <laughs> that's the pastor's going up there. He's singing like that. But he was just, he had a bad voice. He didn't, he didn't know the key, but it didn't matter to him. He wanted to worship God. He just wanted to sing to him. As he was worshiping in his heart, he just wanted to belt it out, glorify God. Uh, we should be doing it like the angels here. We should be making this building shake. <laughs> we won't be able to do that. What's Isaiah's response? How does he respond to seeing this holy God on his throne, the angels all shouting and singing? I'm toast. Strike me down. Curses be upon me. Woe is me. All of this is going on. The angels aren't worthy. I'm toast. He recognizes that God is holy. Unclean or unholy things can't be in his presence. And Isaiah's a sinner. He says he's a man of unclean lips. This might be referring to some type of sin. Maybe he, he had a problem with his mouth. He, would, maybe he was gossiping or, or lying or it's some sin associated with his lips. And, he, and he's saying, man, my, my lips aren't clean. you got to wash, wash my mouth out with soap or something. This, I can't be in here. That I'm a sinner. Have you, have you seen the way I talk? I, I'm someone who is, and your speech comes from your heart, Right? And so he has a sinful heart, and he does, he does not deserve to be in God's presence. This is a prophet of God's chosen people talking. You think, well, maybe the prophet of God, the spokesperson of God, he can be in God's presence. They say, no, I can't be here. I don't deserve to be here. I, I deserve to die. I can't, I can't be in the presence of the Holy One. What would your response be? Would you go up to God and talk to him like I'm talking to you? Would you be just commenting on the throne? Oh, that's, that smoke machine is pretty cool. You got going on here. Shaking, that's cool. That's, that's a nice white you got there. Like, It's a little different being on this side of the cross. If you're in, in Christ, you, you've been saved and forgiven. You can, now you can boldly approach the throne. But there is an element of the holiness that deserves respect. We cannot, we cannot come into his presence on our own works. And anything good that we have, it's because of Jesus' holy blood covering us. We need to remember that. We just don't approach him because, oh, God loves me because I'm, I'm pretty cool. God loves me because I'm a nice guy. We need to remember as we approach his throne, we're only here because Jesus' blood has covered us. He has saved us. He has made us holy. He has set us apart so that we can worship him. Remember that as you're coming into his presence, there needs to be a level of respect to God, a level of thankfulness for how he has allowed you into his presence, how he's changed you. How does God's holiness impact our lives? We can see that he is holy. We can respond with respect. But is there more to it? And so there be more change, more impact in our lives than that? Remember, as we said last night, as we behold God, there should be change. We're not just beholding, just looking, and gazing, and forgetting. There should be change in our lives. There should be action. There should be something happening in our lives. 
as we're looking at God on his throne in his holiness. You don't just depart from there and be like, okay, cool, that was good. It's a cool experience. There should be change. You should be changing in your life. God's holiness should cause us to hate our sin. Beholding God's holiness should make us look at our sin and want to eradicate it. We should not see our, our sin as mistakes or as something that just everyone does. I mean, it's, it's not, is it all that bad? Like, so many people do it. Like, like gossip, for instance. I mean, it's just, it's just so common. It's just, I'm just sharing it as a prayer request. I'm just sharing it just so you know about more about the situation. Like, it's fine. Everybody kind of does it. But we should, we should say no. No more. Like, sin isn't just like little mistakes that we do. It's offending a holy God. It's going up to his throne room and spitting on his face. And yeah, yeah, you, you, you saved me if you're a Christian. But yeah, I'm going to spit on your face. It can't be okay with us. Yes, yes, we are going to keep sinning. Yes, we're always going to have struggles and fights in our life. But there has to be a struggle. There has to be a fight. We can't just be passive about our sin and say, oh, I'm just going to sin, so I'm just going to keep sinning. I'm not going to get rid of it all, so I'm just, it doesn't matter. There has to be a concern. There has to be a fight, a struggle with it. When we picture fighting sin, something I like to picture is I like to picture another prophet Samuel. And now he hacked one of God's enemies to pieces to eradicate the wickedness instead of keeping it around. I'm going to turn again. <laughs> to 1 Samuel, chapter 15. It's too good, I can't pass it up. So in this context, is the first king of Israel, Saul. He's been anointed king. He's in charge of Israel. And God gives him a command. Go to the Amalekites, my enemies, people who hate God. I want you to completely destroy everything. All the sheep, all the oxen, all their possessions, everybody there. Just kill them all. Like They need to be eradicated. They are leading Israel astray, a representation of sin. And you need to go there and destroy it completely. So Saul goes over there. He fights them, destroys them. But it says in verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag, who was the king, and the best of the sheep, and the oxen, and the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good. They would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. And of course, yeah, that's a piece of trash. I'm going to devote it to destruction. I'm going to destroy it. I don't, I don't want to keep that around, but this, this is a nice-looking calf. Man, I can use this. Can use this for my meal later on. Maybe Saul's seeing Agag and thinking, man, this is the king. I don't want to set a precedent that we kill kings. I'm the king. I don't, I don't want to just like set a precedent and so start killing all the kings out here. We get taken out. I want to be make sure that it's a precedent that I, I'm preserved. And then we look at Samuel's response. He goes in there and he sees, sees what uh, Saul did, tears his robe, and then he, Samuel says to Saul, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Malachites. So Agag came to him cheerfully. He said, surely the bitterness of death has passed. I've already survived. I'm fine. I'm just coming in. I'll talk to the king. 
And Samuel said to him, and this is, this is pretty, pretty graphic language, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. That's how we should be treating sin. That's not just a mistake or something that's, that's off. We should be treating it seriously. And so as I'm trying to fight sin in my head, as I'm, I'm trying to fight it, I'm picturing Samuel with a sword. Picturing, I have a sword. I'm just trying to hack my sin to pieces, just destroy it. I don't want that in my life. I don't want those thoughts circulating in my mind. I want it hacked to pieces. I want it gone. We can't just like try to hold on to a little piece and say, well, I can, ha- I can keep Agag. He's fine. I can, I can keep some sheep, some, some calves. That's fine. Like, I'll kill most of it. I'll fight against most of it, but, but this, this sin is precious to me. I, I kind of like it. Maybe, maybe I know it's wrong, but I just want to hold it here and keep it. But God is a holy God. We can't, we can't keep our sin and cherish it and love it. We need to hack it to pieces, whatever it takes. You've got to destroy that. You've got to fight against it. This is an actual battle. You have, you have, you need a, you have an actual sword. You have the Bible. It's a, your sword of God. We, we have to use it to fight against our sin, to hack it to pieces, to get it, get it out of our lives. Don't cherish your sin. We serve a holy God. We can't come into this presence just just keep cherishing our sin, thinking it's fine. Nobody else knows. Nobody else cares. Does, does it hurt anybody? It's fine. We've got to hack it to pieces. And God's holiness should also cause us to be holy. Not only should we seek to hate sin, but we, all, we also should try to be holy like God is. That means we set ourselves apart. We don't live life the same as everyone else. We're about God's business, our, our king's business, not our own business. We're not here to serve our, ourselves. We're set apart to serve God and worship him. That means you might not be able to participate in that joke with your friends. It seems kind of like a funny joke, but you know it doesn't please God. You know it's offensive. You know it's dishonoring him. It means you don't participate in that. Maybe it means you don't go to an event. You think like, ah, does this worship God? Does this glorify God? We can tend to think of how we live our lives and our set as it doesn't seem like a sin, right? Is it necessarily bad? It doesn't seem like it. Maybe it's neutral. But does it worship God? Does going to this event, doing this thing, does it bring glory to God? And if you can't answer yes, maybe you shouldn't do it. If you can't find some way that it can bring glory to God by you doing that thing, maybe you shouldn't do it. We shouldn't just try to ask the question, is it sin? That's not the point. We're trying to glorify God. We're not trying to just avoid sin. We're trying to glorify God. That's the point of not sinning, is to glorify God. So maybe it means you can't go to an event or have jokes to your, someone, some jokes to your friends, and, and maybe it's you don't try to cover something up. Maybe somebody says, oh, and we, just, we don't need to talk about that. Like, people don't need to know about that that happened. And just try to cover it up and just hide it. Um, but no, we should... We should try to be set apart different than how the world works. 
We don't obey man. We don't obey people. We obey God. He's our king. Isaiah's ruler wasn't Uzziah. It was God. He was the one on the throne. He was the one in full control. We need to obey God, seek to live holy lives for him, set apart from how the rest of the world operates and works. And to do that, we need the Holy Spirit. And you, got, you have to remember grace as you go through all this. You have to remember we can't do it on our own. We can't just try to man up, just pull my, my bootstraps up and just try to, uh, I'll, I'll take care of it. We can't. You can't take care of it. You already failed. You're continuing to fail. We can't do it. We need, we need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to be praying to him, asking for help. We need to be in his word, figuring out how can I serve God? How can I love him more? How can I cherish him more? How can I behold him? God's holiness should cause us to worship him. Because he is holy and perfect, there is no one else who deserves praise. No one else. We can try to praise other people, whatever. No one else deserves praise. Only God. We don't deserve it. Nobody else. Only God. God's holiness, or does God's holiness make you tremble because you're not living for him? As you see God in his holiness, his righteousness, does it make you tremble? Like, I don't live for him. I'm not, I'm not one of his children. Then worship God. Turn from your sin. Live for him. Repent. Follow Jesus. If you're, if you're not a Christian and you're, you're not worshiping God, God's holiness should make you very fearful. You go into his presence and you're very fearful. Well, one day I'll answer for the sin that we've done. And if, you, if you're not in Christ, then you should be very fearful of that day, very fearful of coming into his presence because God is holy and you will be judged. Does God's holiness make you rejoice? Because you recognize how imperfect you are, that you're a believer, and you see, I'm so imperfect. But you rejoice because you see how much God has forgiven you. Worship God. You should see your sin. You should see how imperfect you are. See his holiness, and it should make you want to worship him if you're a believer. It's like, man, man God saved me. He's changing me. He saved me from so much. How can a holy God just keep Loving me, even though I over and over and over sin and sin. Worship him. He loves you. He's forgiven you if you're in Christ. Now let's look at unmerited grace in the midst of his holiness. The last point here. What's the grace in this, in this, cha- in this section? Do you see grace in here? You see... The burning coal. In the midst of Isaiah calling curses down on himself, an angel approaches him with a burning coal from the altar of God and touches his lips. It's a burning coal. Imagine, it's, it's more, it's a vision. It's, it's not actually burning his lips and, and destroying his lips. 
but it touches his lips. The burning coal, because he's calling attention to his lips. Remember, he's saying, my lips are unclean. This is, I can't be in God's presence because of my lips. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. So God gives him grace. He cleanses his lips. He says, yes, I recognize. You're a sinner. He doesn't just say, hey, you're fine. I called you here. You're fine. You don't, just don't, you don't need to take care of anything. No, he, he recognizes, yep, you are a sinner. You do need to be cleansed. You don't deserve to be here. I'm going to extend grace to you. I'm going to give you a symbol of grace and forgiveness of your sin. I'm going to have a coal touch your lips that you said were unclean. That you pointed to and said, I'm a sinner. We cannot stand before a holy God unless he gives us that grace. Unless he extends his grace to us and touches us, forgives us. Because of our sin, every one of us deserves eternal punishment in hell. Without Jesus dying on the cross for our sin and us believing in him, we cannot stand before the Holy King. We need that grace. We need that burning coal to touch our lips so that we can be in his presence. God's holiness cannot be tainted by sin. He cannot allow sinners into his presence. We need to be made holy. We need to be made clean. Christ is our burning coal. He is the one who makes us holy. and He is the one who covers us and forgives us. We need Jesus in our lives. We can't just go through life without Jesus. If you want, if, if you want to be on that final day, be worshiping God, if you want to be on that final day and not be in judgment, you need Jesus. You need that cleansing of your sin. You need that grace extended to you. As a believer, I'll say it again. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't just do it on ourselves. We can't live a holy God, a holy life like the Holy God wants us to without the Holy Spirit. We need his grace in our life. We can't just, I'm saying we need to behold God and, and change. We can't just do that by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives helping us to do that. We need to rely on him, rely on his strength. We also see God's restraint on the world. God in his holiness could rightly destroy this whole world right now. He'd be just to do that. He'd be just to wipe us out. There's, no, there's nothing, no reason that we have to halt his justice. No reason we have to stay his hand. We're all imperfect, wicked. It's, it's everyone who is outside of Christ is in their sin, deserve punishment. But he stays his hand. His restraint on the world. His grace. He sends Isaiah out to preach to the people. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm a holy God, and here I am, and wipe everybody out. Because I'm a holy God, and who's going to go for me? Who's going to communicate my message? Who's going to communicate a message of grace to turn, repent? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me, I'll go. God has restraint and grace. He wants people to turn from their sin. He gives us an opportunity for people to repent. He gives us as believers an opportunity to serve him. Like, I would love, the second I became a Christian, 
go to heaven, be with God. That's not what happens. He gives us an opportunity here on earth to serve him, to worship him. We're here for a purpose. We're not here just waiting in the lobby. I'm in the building, just waiting for me to be called in the room. That's not what life like is for us on earth as Christians. We're not just in the lobby just waiting to be taken in the room. We're here for the purpose. We're here to serve. We're here to worship God, to be a light to those around us, like Isaiah was called to be. Unbeliever. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, you don't worship this holy God. Just because you've continued in your sin this far in your life without facing consequences doesn't mean you got away with it. Don't mistake God's grace and patience and long-suffering. He said he's slow to anger. Don't mistake that for weakness. Don't mistake that for this message not being true. Don't mistake that for just thinking, I'm fine with God. He's giving you the opportunity to repent. He is giving you the opportunity to turn to him before he comes back in his wrath and holiness to judge the world. You need to turn now. Worship this holy God. This is your opportunity this morning, this weekend, to turn to God. Believer, you need to worship this holy God. Don't get caught up in your own life. We're not here for ourselves. Don't cherish your sin and hold it tightly to your chest. We need to hack our sin to pieces. We need to live for this holy God. We need to behold him in all his glory. Look at the passage again in verse 3 where where the angels are crying out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Take some time to behold the Lord. Come into his throne room. Picture as you're praying, as you're seeing, as you're worshiping, as you're reading the word, that you're going into his throne room, that you're beholding him. He's sitting on his throne. He's high and lifted up. He's in full control in all his holiness and his regal majesty. We sang majesty. It was a great song. He's majestic. Picture him in his majesty. Give him the glory that he deserves. Worship our holy God. Let's pray. God, you are holy. Thank you for giving us this picture of your throne room, of you high and lifted up, exalted on your throne. Thank you that you are holy, you are perfect, you are unlike us in every way. And yet, you extend grace to us. You give us that burning coal that is Jesus. Help us to look to him for our forgiveness. We need his forgiveness every day, Lord. Help us, forgive us when we do not live holy lives like we, like we need to. Help us to eradicate our sin. Help us to hate it like you do, Lord. And help us in everything to behold you and worship you. 
Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.